Welcome to the Analuya Podcast, bringing you redemptive analogies each week. Everything from Disney to Naruto. We're here to present the gospel in a more animated way. Get ready to raise a hallelujah. It's time for Analuya. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Analuya Podcast. My name is Josh. And yes, we are on video. Every podcast, we will have a video element so that we can beef up our YouTube content and give you more engagement. And this is our second time doing this, trying to look at you guys in the camera, in the audience, until we have our guests on today. And then all that other time will be spent looking at them. And we are so excited. It is 2023. We are back with a vengeance. Not quite. But... I want to go ahead and get right into it. I am very happy to be once again with my lovely wife, Rebecca. Hey, guys. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. My voice is catching. Oh, no, it's not. It's not the uh, thing come back, is it? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I've still got a weird like sickness thing going on. But yeah, I'm mostly good. Yeah, I was pretty sick over Christmas, which was not fun. Yeah, it, gosh, I mean, it, like through our whole vacation, it was, um, well, not the whole vacation. It was um, about a few days, but you like almost like lost your voice. Oh, like, I did. Nearly. I couldn't speak. It was bad. It was the like, yeah. And it yet was you awful. still tried to sing. And I said, don't do it. That was when I was getting better. Okay. And it's a good <laughs> song I want to sing. So. And again, going forward, we are recording video versions of all of our podcasts. So we certainly encourage you all to head over to our YouTube channel and view the video version of this podcast where you'll see the full interview and the full discussion. Again, it's completely uncut and unedited. Uh, today's episode wasn't planned on starting 2023 like this, but it is going to be uh, heavy. But we have a professional with us who is going to uh, work with us through the short film that we'll be talking about. And so we are very proud and pleased to have Life Coach and also the owner of LegitU.com, Lisa Michelle Zega. Hello, hello. Hey, welcome so much. And thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. I feel this uh, compulsion to say, Anna <laughs> <laughs> We love it. Yeah, it's great. And so, Lisa... Um, what, uh, I guess we'll get right into the interview question that I guess I'll ask the first question. And so the first question that we have for you, um, well, first, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, kind of what you do. All right. Well, my name is Lisa Michelle Zega, and you already mentioned that I own legit you. Well, I'm a life coach. I specialize in grief and I, believe, I come from the premise that grief is love. I feel like it's exemplified beautifully in the short that uh, we'll be sharing today. And grief is in all of life. And thankfully, love is in all of life. And I think it connects us. It's one thing that we're all, we all share. That's wonderful. Awesome. And I'm so glad that um, you said that, that grief is love because a lot of times we don't associate with that or at least um, in my personal life, whenever I dealt with grief, I haven't said, well, how is grief supposed to be happy, joyous, and how is grief love is supposed to be sad and somber and everything. 
So I'm glad um, that we'll be getting into that so that you can listen to our audience and through this uh, medium, um, kind of how we get to that point. But Rebecca, I want you to take it away with our interview. Yeah, I know. I'm really excited to get into this topic of grief, which I know you you're very passionate about because I'm also passionate about this topic. So it'll be a really fun discussion. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about your, your background and how you grew up and what got you into this life coach stuff. Yeah. You know, it's so fascinating because we think of grief as generally the loss of a loved one. And I know I'll just speak for myself. I had no idea that I could grieve something I never had or someone that I never had. So that takes me right into my background. I never met my biological father. And then I uh, had multiple stepdads. I moved many, many times. I think I'd moved about 20 times by the time I was 13 years old. So a lot of change and transition and change and transition Every, even when you're moving to something good, right, has a loss with it. There is a pattern, a rhythm to our life that involves like a death and a rebirth and a death and a rebirth. And we often are just moving on to the next thing and have no appreciation to what we're carrying that we've lost, right? So a lot of unfinished lived in me. I didn't know that my loss of a father would characterize or like create a blueprint for my relationships, my relationships to men, my relationship to myself. I didn't know how this would imprint my nervous system. And then I ended up becoming a follower of Jesus when I was 18 years old. I had this very simplistic view. Old things are gone. New things have come. Everything is peachy keen. Happy smile. Jesus. Yay. And I didn't know that I was living a very uh, simplistic shell of a life. My imprint of my childhood kept reoccurring both in my marriage and in my parenting. Fast forward, I divorced after 23 years of marriage. And we were, you know, the ministry couple. And I thought I was a pastor's wife. And I homeschooling mom lost a major sense of identity, my bearings with the Lord. Then um, I ended up getting engaged, lost my fiance to a motorcycle accident. I had this sense that his death was part of my calling. And I had that early on because he was probably the biggest champion of who I am in the world and how he saw me. And then that opened me to a much bigger understanding. Wow, that was a great explanation. Yeah. And so much has happened in your life, you know, but we are so lucky to know that there's a purpose to it all. You know, there's a purpose to everything that God has for us and and allows to happen in our lives. Not that he causes them, but that he allows them to happen. And it's always for our good and always for the good of the world and what he wants to do. So, so lucky because you could have gotten really sucked down into despair. What started you into life coaching? And that's actually our next question. So feel free to go ahead and share. As far as becoming a life coach, I've always felt this like call to be with people, but mostly I relied on my intellect. I, I really 
you know, I'm quite good with my words and this kind of stuff. And I would be quite enamored with the uh, ways that I seem to impact people. But I wasn't genuinely connecting what I was doing. And this also relates to grief. What I didn't know then is I just wanted external validation. And this felt like a way, like a gift that I had. And I could kind of prostitute myself out there like, hey, I'll give you this. Will you pay me with validation? And, you know, but regardless, however it started, however, I was going through a lot in my the marriage that I mentioned earlier and I ended and we had gone to therapy and so many different things. And we went to this one transformational training and I could see something in particularly the female facilitator something awakened in my spirit, a longing, a calling. And I was also desperate. Like I didn't know this, but what I thought is I wanted to be fixed. If I could just be not me, then I could have the marriage and the life and whatever. But that I didn't even know life coaching was a thing. And I ended up hiring a coach. I ended up getting trained as a coach. And I'm so grateful for the pain that I experienced post becoming a coach, because I still had all the ego I mentioned earlier. And I'm not saying that my ego is like completely gone or anything like that. But the pain opened me to a different way to connect with people. And after the divorce, I ended up in homeless services. So I was working with people in very difficult situations. And I was in a very difficult situation. And it became a beautiful love fest is in my, you know, like, and, and uh, that was in 2015. And what's so beautiful is I didn't lose all the training and the lessons and all. It's like my allowing my pain opened that up in a whole different way. Now I'm a coach and a practitioner that I trust. Whereas before I was just someone trying, I don't want to say just in the sense that like, like there was nothing good that came from my life because there was and there is and it's beautiful and having an experience of so much more aliveness and connection. I'm like, oh, now this is living. Absolutely. Oh, so much goodness. So you've got a, a business um, and website called Legit You, which we talked about earlier. So tell us a little bit more about that. What's on the website? What do you do through that? Yeah. So the website itself, legit you, I, I was just like, man, maybe I should have just said real you, but and I don't even know if that was available, but, but it's the idea. There is a, a poem by Rumi and the second line, I think said the seawater begs the pearl to break down its walls. And I think that that's, and, and it's in the short that we're sharing, but like grief is begging us to break down our walls to receive love. And so the website, that's, you know, the website's just a holding space or a contact space. But the 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 point is that grief is love and it's, it's a normal part of life. And what I do through the website or the offers that I have are one-on-one uh, guidance, group guidance. I lead grief rituals. And then there's a whole organizational side where I work with companies, not just in the realm of grief, also in the realm of poverty and being with one another in a human to human way. 
nice to know, you know, there's individual care, but also group. And um, it's interesting working with companies coming into, um, so I'm guessing it's kind of like a, an employee assistance program that you're kind of assisting with. Well, you know, I mentioned that I worked in homeless services. And when I did that, I ended up becoming our primary trainer. But first I was just motivated, like I wanted to make sure that I was helping and not doing harm. And I was, I was the um, oh, director of employment. And I, so I, I worked both with companies and then also with individuals. I was kind of like a liaison of sorts. And then in my own passion and, and our CEO supported that. And then I was just learning to be with people effectively. So I've got all this training of how we work with individuals in our companies to be effective. And now that same CEO is with another foundation and I get to be a trainer for multiple agencies and companies to help people come out of poverty. But the really big thing about that is reorienting our understanding of poverty. Like it's around resource, not just financial, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, right? And then how are we with one another in a way that honors that everyone is bringing problem solving to the table? And, you know, I know that you, your podcast focuses on Christians. Think about this. Every individual is made in the image of God. Every single one, every voice is essential. My own belief about our being created in the image of God, why are there, you know, the billions of people on the planet that there are, that it takes that many individuals to create a faint reflection of the glory and majesty and beauty of God. And so we want, we want every brushstroke, every, you know, dot, every human honored and won't when one human's hurting, we're all hurting, whether we recognize that or not. Every time we turn our faces away from someone else's suffering, we're turning away from our own, which is why I believe that turning toward our grief is actually a balm of healing for the whole world. Yeah, it it reminds me of what Jesus said, you know, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. So when we turn our backs on people who are in pain, we're essentially doing that to Jesus, we're turning our backs on him. And uh, that just reminded me of what what you were talking about there. And that's the thing, you know, one of the um, misnomers, like we're so afraid of being selfish that we're like, oh, I, I got to go out and serve. But oftentimes we, we can only serve from what we have, right? If I'm trying to bring you a plate of food, but my plate is empty, then I'm providing an empty plate. And so it's like, we're coming within, like loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Well, you gotta love yourself. It's, it's yeah. applied, and yet so many. I, I heard from the pulpit two Christmases ago, like this idea of loving yourself being ridiculous, and I was sitting there going, "Well, <laughs> that's kind of exemplifying what we got here." Where you know, and then we want to browbeat people for being selfish. It's like I can only give from that which I've received, and God is inviting me to receive love. Yeah, it reminds me of the story of the um, feeding the 5,000 multiple times, actually. But to Jesus didn't make something out of nothing. He had to receive the fish and the loaves in order to multiply. So what we have, God will multiply. 
That's, I, oh, I'm just so excited, Becca, because I was describing, so someone asked me, all right, what do you mean when you say grief is love? And I was like, well, I don't know, you know, everything breaks down, but imagine grief in a bowl. And that's so awesome. How do I think that we um, <laughs> should look at the, the grief process? Well, our grief, like imagine it in a container and it needs love. It needs love that the temptation, and we'll see this in the short, is to hold it, to keep it, to, you know, we feel judged by it. We feel like it means so much. We feel a, um, you know, like a pointy finger from other people at us. And what it's really asking for is love. And when love gets poured into grief, it becomes more than the original love that's poured in. It multiplies like the loaves and the fishes and something miraculous and transformative happens. And like we'll see in the short, it doesn't take away the tears, but what does it do? It brings the connection. It brings the joy of the memories. Like there is a comfort within the suffering that we know that yes, love is holding us. It's holding us all and it's holding us together. And I just love that you brought up the multiplication because yeah, that's really what I mean. I want to try to clarify, like to open to the love process. I'm not trying to put something on people. Like when we are in fresh grief, it can feel devastating. Like everything within us feels out of alignment. Like our whole body's betraying us. I know when Chip died, I couldn't, I couldn't get my sleep in order. I couldn't, I couldn't bring my physical, my focus. Sometimes I would look at a piece of paper. I couldn't even get, I couldn't read the same way, you know, like a lot changes. So part of that is allowing what we need, allowing ourselves to sleep, asking someone over not to fix anything, just to be with me. Like I ended up creating a ritual and I didn't even recognize that's what I was doing. But I came home and I wrote to him every day, every day after work. And at the time I was writing on Facebook. I don't know. It was part of my process. It was like this public out loud. And you know, that's part of Lisa, but it it gave me a place that I knew I felt like I could go and meet with him every day. I mean, uh, I can, I can only, you know, imagine, you know, the, the loss of a spouse. I mean, uh, we've never had to experience that in particular loss, though we have both lost, you know, relatives and everything. But yeah, we were talking after we had to watch the short film um, last night, just so that it was fresh. But people, when they see something grieving, they automatically want to get them from the sad train to the happy train. And it's like, oh, you know, it's okay. You'll get through this. You know, God has a purpose and all this. And we all know that's true, but that's not exactly what we need at that moment. We need listening more than talking, in my opinion, at least. The result that no one intends, when you come and tell a person, like, Literally the day after Chip died, someone very important in my life and his looked at me and said, you'll meet someone new. Oh, true, but not what you need to hear. It was like the most like and I was shocked and I'm like, but the what ends up happening when we offer these platitudes is the person grieving feels more alone and and more like there's not someone to be with them in the pain. 
Well, Lisa, that, that, that's great. That really gives us a look into kind of like what you do, the whole grieving process, how we should view grieving. And that is a perfect segue into the short film that we'll be talking about. So Lisa, you actually uh, suggested this. I only went through a few ideas before we landed on this one. And I'm so glad that we did. And so tell us the title of what we're going to be discussing today. If anything happens, I love you. And it's on Netflix. And this has been on Netflix for maybe a couple of years because I've, I've passed through it a few times in the past and was meaning to watch it and just never got around to it. But I'm so glad that I did. This short film says so much in 12 minutes. It is amazing. With no dialogue. Yes. I am so, so curious. Tell me about your experience of this short. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I will say, if you don't mind me saying so, this hit her in like such a different way than like any other like short that we've watched or movie that we've watched, you know, you know, um, for, uh, recently. And, you know, there are, there are sad moments, but then there is like, you're like sobbing and like, you're really connecting. And, you know, so that's, uh, she felt it more than I did, but, you know, it's still relatable in that sense. We'd recommend you you all go ahead and check it out. But make sure you've got a tissue box yes. nearby. Expect, <laughs> I mean, exactly. really. As we said, this has no dialogue. It's all done through animation, motion, and music, which is the most powerful element in this whole film. So when getting into the animation side of it, it's very like originally hand-drawn, a little bit of the like stop motion, but what goes through and kind of like pushes it along is just the music, kind of like starts off a little bit somber. We get into the memories, a little bit happy upbeat uh, pop song plays, and then straight away, like almost abruptly, it goes back into the somber, the sadness. So let's kind of like maybe walk through this film a little bit. So Lisa, why did you suggest this short? for us to talk about? Well, I feel like I was divinely led to it. I kid you not. I mean, you and I, Josh, had talked about things because grief shows up in everything. I, I really, you know, shy of maybe some of the Sunday morning kid cartoon kind of things or Saturday morning, whatever it is. But even then, no, because we're, there's always like a, a dilemma, a loss. Whatever. But I wanted, so, I, I just was fooling around on my couch one day and I said, God, I'd really dig it if you would just give me, give me an animation. And the next thing I know, I saw that I watched it and I'm like, what? Like, you know, it's like I ask, God does it. And then I'm like shocked. And, and, and it says, there's a song, a country song. You say it best when you say nothing at all. So that's coming to my mind with this, not having words, there is so much said in this short. And I think I was telling you all that I've watched it, I don't know, maybe 20 times now. And every time I see a new facet, it's it's become like, I've been doing Lectio Divina as far as the way that I'm reading scripture and this meditative approach. And that's how I've been watching this short. So that's why I'm like, so eager to hear what came for, for you all. Yeah, I would agree with that. Everything that you were talking about earlier it is shown so beautifully in the short. And it was 
it was so powerful. I so Josh told me nothing, by the way, about and it, this. And it short. was good that you went into a blind. I think. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was like, "Okay, we got to watch this short film for for the podcast," and I was like, "Okay, cool." So he had turned it on, and then there was the only thing I saw was in the like top left hand corner where it said something about gun violence and grief or something, and um, I was like, "Ooh, okay." interesting. Uh, what are we getting into here? And, uh, so I kept waiting for like the shoe to drop, so to speak. And man, it went in a direction that I didn't think it was going. I was like, okay, someone's, all I knew is someone was going to get shot in this. And so you see the, there's two people sitting at a dining table. They're obviously very sad, not wanting to talk to each other. And then there's these like shadow figures that come up from them and you can see the shadows arguing and then they end up just not talking to each other. And then you see them individually. It's a man and a woman and they, they connect or they, they see something that, that sparks something. And then the little shadows trying to lift them up, encourage them, um, make them smile or some in some way. And then as you, you continue to go on through the story, you realize, oh, they actually have a daughter and she ultimately, as you go through the story, she starts going to school and then those shadow figures come up and they're trying desperately to keep the daughter from going to uh, going to school. And it was in that moment that I realized, oh, this is a school shooting. Yeah, it gosh, I I didn't know where it was. I know that she was like heading to school. I didn't know she was going to get, you know. It hit by a car or something's gonna happen along the way. But as soon as I saw she went to school, any forward like you hear that pop of the gun, I mean, you know it was gonna happen. And we've seen this, you know, in other situations, Columbine, Sandy Hook. Um, it is just devastating. Like murder is one thing when you hear it's like, oh, you know, man, 35 was murdered, woman, 50-something years was murdered. But something hits differently like when it's kids. And Beck and I were talking about last night as well, where there's just all these emotions that you always think about, you know, kids bearing the parents, but parents should interact with their the kids. Um, and it's so heartbreaking when that happens. Yeah, it reminded me of that scene in uh, Lord of the Rings where Lord Theoden had to bury his son and there were all the little flowers that grew over the tomb. And um, he said much the same thing of parents should never have to bury their children. I think it was most emotional for me for a couple of reasons. But as we were going through the story, I kept thinking about, so So Josh and I are trying to have kids right now. And um, we've had a lot of trouble with that. And um, we're having to go through all the fertility treatment and, and everything. We're kind of at the, I don't know, I'd say we're in the middle of our, our journey here. And um, it's hard. And I just know how much we want a child. And I've had to go through... I mean, both of us have had to go through our own grieving processes of it hasn't happened yet. And um, so that's a lot. So I know how much we are striving for that, how much money we're pouring into this time, effort, all of these things. And what if we were those parents and we finally had this beautiful, perfect little girl and then we sent her off to school and there's this senseless 
horrible shooting at school and we lose her. All of this this effort and time and love and and then she's just gone. And it, you know, that that really hurt me. That was really like, oh my gosh. And, you know, I was like, I was telling talking to Josh last night is, you know, obviously we we don't know yet that full parental love. But, you know, even from everything that we're going through, we we can kind of get like a taste of it. And um so it was just like what these parents actually go through in these school shootings is just. When I'm talking about grief being love, it's like you're open to the fullness of the pain. It doesn't actually like we're not talking about numbing something. We're talking about the kind of grief that breaks you open in ways that you don't even know you can be broken open. It doesn't mean like literally this week, um, friends of ours are going to be burying a toddler who was killed by a redwood crashing on their house in a storm. And this friend posted about the, the vulnerability that grief, like it, it literally the temptation is to get so rigid and locked and pull in, but to open to the fullness of the love that they have for that grandson and, um, or the, like we see in the short for them to open to all the memories and like, like gathering her up and loving all the parts and, and seeing the the mark on the wall from the soccer ball and seeing the plants planted and the, you know, and enjoying the kitty cat and all the things also means opening to the loss that she's not here. And it's not trying to close off. Like you said earlier, you know, trying to imagine, which I can't really imagine a school shooting in terms of being the intimate one happened in our area just a couple of years ago, but in terms of me being the parent, this is something to disenfranchise grief. Being the parent of the shooter who also dies, like this isn't exemplified in our in our short, but we've seen that multiple multiple times, and then and then the parent doesn't feel like they have a right to grieve because society's not re- recognizing their loss. Well. That's not the only kind of disenfranchised grief. Suicide becomes that for, you know, often for people, drug overdoses. All grief gets dismissed in some ways in our society. People are told you can talk to any griever and you will hear stories of like, it's been two weeks, it's been a month, it's been, and, you know, time to move on. But you add to that the layers of not having that, like people come around and support those who've lost children. They don't tend to come around and support those who've lost children who are the perpetrator. And there's just a lot of, I, all of our grief needs love. Oh yeah. Cause that, that parent of the perpetrator is still, they lost a child too. And it's not, it's not the parent's fault, you know? And that's what people tend to like, put the fault of the child on the parents. Yeah. We all do that trying to minimize our pain. That's all we're trying to do. We're just doing pain management in ways that hurt us all. And my real point, I kind of ended up on a tangent that I was not intending as far as disenfranchised grief and things like that. But the, the point being, I'm not offering grief 
is love as a way to minimize the loss we experience. It's it's mysterious because we open to greater pain and then we open, which opens us to a love that we is above and beyond what we could ask or think. And something from that, like a new life emerges that doesn't take away the loss. It just builds a bigger life around the loss. And, and we see it happen in the opposite way too. I mean, we, we do see parents that lose a child and then are not able to love the children that are remaining. Like they, you, do, do you know what I'm saying? So that, I, that wrestle between there is a prison for us and a freedom for us. But what I am not trying to say, I just want to be careful in the sense that it doesn't sound like a bony finger telling someone that they're doing it wrong. I'm simply offering that those places of you that are desperately hurting, whatever you're hurting from, that those places are an invitation for love. And I really think that that's what that short, if, if I were to say, what did I really take away from it? That the places we're tempted to pull away and be alone are the places that are inviting love from us. Like we're partnering with God in loving ourselves and in connecting with others to receive love. Absolutely. And that's one of the, our, our points that we have is grief is not only love, but grief is also unifying um, because it brings together a community. And um, that, Rebecca, you were talking, uh, we had a guest on last year in May during our uh, mental health series where they're, they live in Israel. And in Israel, if somebody is, you know, um, grieving, they, you know, go to them you know, they can talk if they want, but it's mainly just sitting with them and listening. And it's this whole community that just gathers around. And that, I think, is just speaks volumes in helping those with the grieving process, not offering words of encouragement, not, you know, offering a one ten step whatever motivation, but just, you know, being there, being present. And you don't have to talk about the loss. You can talk about something else. Yeah, it's just the idea of being together, that the idea of community and the love that you're talking about, Lisa. Um, I think that's where it comes out so, so beautifully. And it reigns also to, speaking scripturally, uh, Romans twelve fifteen, where it says, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And Again, just reiterating that sense of the community and that unification that happens. Yeah. And that it's okay to weep. Yes. Validation, it you know. Good. Yeah. Jesus, <laughs> yeah, Jesus what? He did. That's right. <laughs> and the, um, Josh, you said you don't have to talk about the loss. Often people that have, we're the ones afraid to talk about the loss, you know, when we're coming around someone who's grieving, often the griever wants to talk about the loss. Not always, but it's not so much the loss. They want to talk about the, the person. And we think if we talk about the person or bring them up, it's going to um, magnify. It actually oftentimes helps the person feel more connected, like, oh, I'm still allowed to be with this, you know, beautiful human. Like, I am married and my husband, particularly on anniversary dates, he will let me sit and tell him Chip's stories. We will do things like Chip was a huge, um, it just so happens my current husband also loves pepperoni and pineapple pizza for all you pineapple haters. I'm just saying it's the way to go. But um, 
and we'll get a pepperoni and pineapple pizza and we'll get a beer and we'll he'll listen to chip stories and and it's it becomes uh, a deeper intimacy like the way that my husband allows and makes space for us to come together in these ways i feel more like it, our love for one another grows to have someone who allows that uh, time for stories is just so amazing that they're not threatened by that those stories um what a what a beautiful relationship you guys sound, sounds like you guys have that's wonderful Getting back to the film a little bit, let's talk about um, the the upbeat, the 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 happy that we get in the short film, and that's where the pop song starts to play. Cat knocks the record player; it starts to go in. That's where the husband and wife enter into the room where their daughter used to reside and start thinking about you know the car trips that they took, you know the uh, blue paint spot on the side of the house. How did that happen? And how she got into soccer and I believe it it gives that sense of, you know, rejoicing in those memories in in that part of, you know, healing. Because, yes, we're sad about the loss, but we can also, we've built up so many memories with this person, however long they were with us. And it's important to remember that, but also not disregarding, you know, the loss that's also happened. But I think it's a very important part um, when anybody's going through that. Well, I want to bring up in the short because that is the transition. So the happy enters in allowing the sad. When the film opens, both parents are isolated and the shadow figures, you'll notice that it's like uh, you can see a shadow figure in each of their heads and then and then an overarching shadow figure and they are pointing and they are yelling. And what I make up about that, I'd have to talk to the those who create it, is the accusation they feel from the other person and they and they withdraw further and further inward. You see different things inviting memories and the shadow person's actually trying to help them open to the experience and they are staying closed, isolated and alone. When the opening that you refer to happens, the mom pulls out the daughter's shirt from the laundry. You'll notice that it's blue. There's an invitation there. There's an invitation of color, of opening to the fullness of what she's experiencing. And it's in that opening where love gets in and they are able to experience joyful memories of this precious, precious daughter. But the temptation is to stay closed and there is, and you'll see in our own grief, there is a continual knocking to open to what our genuine, real experiences, and it's counterintuitive. It's opening to it the sad that even makes room for the happy. Yeah, I, it's a really interesting point about the short that you brought up of the the table scene in the very beginning. I I wasn't quite sure what that was trying to say, but we make a really good point that it's more about what that other person thinks that they will say. So the husband is like thinking that the wife is accusing them and the wife is thinking that the husband's going to accuse her of being wrong or whatever. And so they they stay away. And that's the lie that it's better to be away from each other. And um, yeah, I, had, I hadn't 
I didn't quite connect those dots until you said that uh, just a moment ago. Well, we have so much enjoyed talking about the show with only getting to know you better. Again, you've given like us and like our audience such a wealth of knowledge and just understanding about grief and what it is, how we should view it and everything. So we really, really thank you and really appreciate that. So we know you have your website, legitu.com. If people want to follow you or kind of keep them to know what you're doing, how can they follow you? I'm on Instagram at lisamichelle.legitu. I'm on Facebook. I have a Facebook group that I do a lot in called uh, Legit You. And for people that want just a place where someone, not to be advised, fixed, saved, just to be in community, I create communities that are like grief rituals and do that for 10 weeks at a time. And actually I have one starting coming really quick, but that is a wonderful way to just be in community and see ourselves in the other. And it ends up opening more compassion for ourselves as well. And for those of you listening on the audio version of the podcast, if you want to hear the full interview or full discussion, head on over to our YouTube channel and you can view the full interview, full discussion. That's where you get the, uh, um, I was going to say the fullness of God because uh, <laughs> you'll get the fullness of the podcast. Hallelujah. <laughs> exactly. Well, we thank all of you for listening, for watching. And until next time, keep those halos shiny and stay holy, my friends. Thank you for listening to the Analuya podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also see more on our website at analuya.com. Thanks for listening. Woo!